Amen. All right. Well, let's turn over to uh, uh, Luke chapter 22 today. And, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about, uh, about Jesus, uh, of course. Um, both, one, we're talking about, the, you know, in the Gospel of Luke, which is the story of Jesus. But Luke is, it's interesting because Luke very rarely... Uh, for most of his gospel talks about you know the specific disciples he refers to them just as you know the group of disciples that in other words the focus is very jesus centric in his writing which i find uh, find fascinating actually as you look at that as 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 he you know he wrote down what people had told him about it he wasn't there to experience uh these stories and so uh, but today i wanted to look at uh kind of put our put our hearts and our minds and and in the spot of the disciples, in their spot, and and what were they seeing? What were they hearing? What 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 were they experiencing? And as 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 we march closer and closer to the time of the cross, yeah. it's it's fascinating to think about. Let's go back. You know, uh, let's actually start in, in Luke chapter eighteen. I'll read there first. But amongst all of the, the, the great miracles uh, that uh, John said, gosh, we could write so many of these things down, there wouldn't be enough room in the world to, right, to, to, to hold all the books with all the stuff that Jesus did. So many things that he did that we, we don't even know about uh, today. But, in, uh, uh, but as we got closer to the cross, we've seen you know, some stuff be a little bit more challenging uh, for the disciples. It wasn't all about... Uh, you know, the healing of this person or that person and so forth. There was actually some stuff that started to get a little bit challenging for them. And in fact, in Luke 18, Jesus uh, plainly tells them in verse 31, he looked, took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, and they will flog and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. The disciples didn't understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they didn't know what he was talking about. So Jesus is telling them these things. It's all, it's all, you know, we have the benefit of you know, two pages later, we can see what he's saying. But for them, they're like... I mean, it really would be like me coming up and, and speaking a different language or me coming up and, and talking about, uh, you know, oh, if I just head down the, down the street and turn right, I go, go to the end of the street and turn right again, go to the light, turn left, a couple more lights, make another left, and then the big building on the left side. I just gave you directions from our house in Ohio to our high school and where our kids went to. But to you, it's like you have no idea what I'm talking about. And so this, 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 it's almost gibberish that, that, that Jesus is telling these guys, even though he's speaking in very plain language. But you can imagine the side conversations or when they lay their head down at night, they're thinking, what on earth is Jesus even talking about there? Farther in, in chapter 19, and some of the stuff we've read, uh, read recently, in verse, uh, verse 37... Um, you know, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd uh, said to the teacher to rebuke your disciples. 
And so they start to see this as they go into Jerusalem. You have the crowd cheering for Jesus. And they're like, oh, this is awesome. They just love us here. They're so glad we're here. But then there's other people that are standing telling Jesus, well, you should rebuke these guys. They're way out of line. What is wrong with these people? They're, they're, they're telling you that you're, you're the king and, and that you're God. Rebuke them. And so they're, the disciples, are, they're kind of caught in the middle of this. Have you ever found yourself you know, caught between a rock and a hard place where you have two friends or something that are arguing and you're the third party, kind of innocent to both? Yeah. You know, you're, you're just kind of observing this. Well, that's kind of the, 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 the spot that they're in. In chapter 19 and verse 45. When Jesus was at the temple, he entered the temple courts. He began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said, my house will be a a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the leaders among them were trying to kill him. Yet they couldn't find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but it's starting to get pretty serious for the disciples. Again, they don't know what's coming up two pages later. They don't know what the cross is. That concept isn't in their minds at all. But they're seeing this start to unfold with Jesus. And if you put yourself again into that spot, you're thinking, man, this is, this is, this is getting crazy. This is getting crazy. If you look in chapter 20, there's several stories of the religious leaders trying to trap Jesus so they can arrest him. But he continues to outwit them. And in verse 45, uh, verse 45 and, uh, to uh, 47, you know, Jesus again talks to his disciples while all the people were there listening. Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law, for they like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats of the synagogues and the places honored to banquet. They devour the widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Yet Jesus is trying to bring some clarity to them. He's trying to, to show them you know, what is hypocrisy, what actually it is. And so I, I can't imagine these last week or a couple weeks as we're, we're headed to the cross here, the disciples just soaking all of this in. And that's why I so appreciated through all of this, this, this really difficult time, these really difficult days where people are arguing in Jesus' face, maybe even in part in their faces. It's gone from people are being healed and life is good and the flowers are blooming and everything to... Oh, my goodness, for these guys. But in the middle of that, I appreciated Andre's message last week of John 13, 34 and 35. Of to love one another as I have loved you. By this, people will know that you're my disciples. He talks about this love in the middle of all of this. You know, John thinks to write that down for us so that we can read it here as he's heading to the cross that, that, that Jesus is saying, hey, all this stuff is going on. But you know what? People will know that you're my disciples not by, not by how your smart answers, right. 
They're not going to know your, your love and your discipleship by how you stand up for what's right or standing up for justice. That's not what is going to be their cue to know that you're my disciples. They're not going to know you're my disciples by the incredible knowledge that you have or how long you've been one of my disciples or the money that you give. None of that. They will know that you're my disciple by the way you love. By the way you love one another the way you love those people around you. And oh, by the way, the standard of love is not doing unto others what you would have them do back to you. Uh-uh. I am the standard. I am the standard. My love for you is actually the standard here. And that's how they're going to know. You're going to have to forgive others when they don't forgive you back. You're going to have to love others, whether they like you or not. Your love is going to have to drive action on your part. And the love is always going to be all about the other person. It's not going to be about yourself. That's the kind of love we're talking about here. Oh my goodness. I wonder if they slept at all on these last few weeks. I wonder, I wonder how, they, how they did it. Well, let's turn over to, now to uh, Luke chapter 22. Yeah. You know, when you look at Luke chapter 22, there's 22 different sermons in there. There really, really is. There is just so much that Luke writes, uh, or, or, or writes in there. But today we're going to talk about the moment when, when Jesus actually goes to the Mount of Olives to, to pray. And actually, I want to start back and, and uh, just keep your fingers there. In fact, you don't even have to turn now. I'll just turn over and read it. In Luke chapter 11, you know, one of the earlier times that Jesus was with his disciples. Verse 1, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we must also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. What's interesting here is that the disciples come to him and they obviously don't know how to pray. Or if what they've seen is really not working for them, but what they see in Jesus, we were talking uh, you know, at, at a midweek uh, when we joined Nova a few weeks ago. We did, last night I did a lesson on just on prayer, and we started with this. That, you know, there's a moment here where the disciples are like, you know, if, if they had any idea how to pray, they're realizing it's just not all that, right? They're seeing Jesus pray, and there's, there's something different about that. There is something going on with Jesus that ain't going on with me. And so they're humble enough to say, Jesus, please, please teach us to pray. And I thought, gosh, when do we ever do that? When do we ever do it? Take, take on that heart? And when you look throughout the Gospels, it was a part of Jesus' teaching. He taught them how to love. He taught them how to care for people. He taught them faith. He taught them lots of things. But one of the things he taught them is how to pray. 
and in, in a lot of uh, a lot of other versions. In verse two, uh, it, 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 Jesus is praying, "Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." And so it's with that spirit that we see Jesus going to the Mount of Olives. And uh, in, in, in uh, verse 21, I'm sorry, chapter 21, verse 37 and 38, it says, Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple. Each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him in the temple. So the guy's like going out nightly to the Mount of Olives. I mean, that is, it is like a part of his, his, his day. That he is going to go to the Mount of Olives to send, uh, spend time in prayer. So in Luke chapter 22, when we finally get there, disciples are watching all of this, right? They've seen those hard things. They've seen you know, Jesus, Jesus face the, the Pharisees. They've seen him face you know, people that, that are, are disciples and supportive and everything in between. But in the middle of that, the disciples have also watched him pray every day and every night. And so we start to read in uh, chapter 22, verse 39. So Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Similar to Luke chapter 11. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer, he went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptations. You know, I thought of two things that the disciples saw and learned here in this moment. You know, uh, the first thing is, uh, in point number one, is just total trust. Total trust. In verse 40, read that again. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Temptation of what? Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Well, what, 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 what is he talking about there? I mean, this is late at night. If you know the chronology here, it is, it, you know, Judas, one of their best friends, one of them, had just betrayed them. But you know what? Jesus hasn't been arrested yet. They've seen, they may have known Judas left from, the, from what, they, what we call the Last Supper. Of course, they didn't call it the Last Supper. They didn't know it was going to be the Last Supper. So they've seen Judas, something go on with that. But he says, don't fall into temptation. And I don't, I don't think at all they knew exactly what was ahead. Perhaps, you know, Jesus is talking about pray that you won't be tempted to lose control and get so angry that you would pull a sword out on somebody. Pray for that to control your anger. 
pray that you won't forget about loving one another and fall more into the mode of just save yourself. Pray that you won't fall into that temptation and forget about those around you. Maybe you should pray that you don't lie when someone's asking you to tell the truth about your relationship with me, Jesus. Right. Wow. Wow. Maybe the temptation was, was hatred. Right? Judas had totally lied to their face. He had totally lied to their face, sold them out. It wasn't just like a baseball t- player trade, right? Where, where, uh, you know, uh, where Fred gets traded over there and Jack comes in and now he's a part of your team. It's not like that. I mean, it was gut-wrenching, in your face. I hate you. And I'm going to sell you out for a few bucks. That's what was there. That's, the, that's what the hatred, that, that, that temptation was coming their way in moments. Yeah. In moments from this time. So maybe Jesus saying, you pray that you won't fall into a, a hatred. Up to that point, that, that would be the most personal hurt ever. Yeah. Maybe in their entire lives. Certainly to that, to that point in their lives. Pray that you won't fall into the temptation of just forgetting that God is actually there and he wants, you to, to, he wants to bring you through this. It's going to be hard. You know, the disciples would fall into all of those. Every one and probably many more of those temptations. Sure. And Jesus asked them, pray, pray. And then we know that they fell asleep. Meanwhile, Jesus goes a little bit beyond where they were sitting. And in verse 42, he is like, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was totally entrusting himself to God. He was totally giving himself over. He didn't have, he wasn't motivated by some kind of crazy death wish here. That wasn't his motivation. He didn't want to go through having to face Judas. He didn't want to go through having to beat up, get beat up. He didn't want to go through having the disciples and his best friends desert him. He didn't want to go through knowing that Peter would deny him and lie about him. He didn't want to go through the physical pain. And he certainly knew what it meant of taking on the sins of the whole world. But yet he is totally entrusting himself to God. And we've all seen this before, I'm sure. We've read through this and it's seen like, oh my goodness, of how that that must have been an incredible moment in Jesus's life. You know, the disciples did not turn to God in that moment. And Jesus did, which leads to point number two of total triumph. Mm. You know, the moment, the moment The moment was just minutes away. It would set the course for mankind forever. 
And it was just moments away. And of course, we have the benefit of knowing what would happen. And we're going to talk more about the cross and the events around the cross more coming up in, in, in upcoming weeks. But before all of it, it's the prayer that helped equip him to be composed, to be self-aware, and to be masterful through all of what was coming. It was through the prayer. There was a battle of demons and angels, I think beyond whatever we could ever imagine, that wasn't seen. That we couldn't see what was going on. Because it was the moment. It was the moment that we know that would land on Jesus being a total triumph of, of giving his life on the cross and raising from the dead. We know it's coming. But for the disciples in that moment, they're thinking that they've all failed. They have all failed. But then I, I think Jesus knew that. I think Jesus was teaching them yet another lesson. Have you ever thought about, well, why did Jesus leave them there if he wants them to stay awake and pray? I mean, if that was us, would we not, like, stand and maybe hold hands, put our arms around each other? Let's help each other. Let's help support each other. Stay awake. Let's pray. Let's pray out loud. Oh, we're exhausted. I know, but you know, let's, let's, you know, well, I'll pick you up. You know, there would be some other strategy than just leaving them over there by themselves in the darkness. <laughs> right? It would be some other strategy. I think Jesus knew, totally knew that they would fall asleep. And maybe he knew that they needed it, that their physical bodies needed it. But also, maybe he was helping them to learn yet again that they help that they needed from God. To help them see their need for God yet again. You know, they realize, oh, I mean, you just go through all those things, all those scriptures that, I, that I've read, and, and, and I could choose many more. There's many of them in there. Just how hard it must have been for the, 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 the men and women disciples, not just the 12, but, but the men and women, the people that were his followers, of how hard that must have been leading up to the cross. And so it's very understandable that oh, I just can't do it. I am trying to fight to stay awake, but I can't do it. And even now, our best friend has just left us. Of how hard that must have been. The sorrow it says they're you know they're exhausted of sorrow. It was just too hard. They all fell short before Romans chapter three verse twenty three was ever written. They all fell short. I wonder when they looked back if they thought of Luke chapter 18 in verse, uh, verse 37. Verse 37? Verse 27, sorry. You know, we had the story of, of um, you know, Jesus is essentially saying of, of uh, uh, Jesus replied to the disciples. Well, I'll start in verse 26. It says, those who heard this, who can be saved? I mean, it was just a hard teaching that Jesus was talking about. And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Yeah. 
And, G- and Peter's like, we, we've done everything we can do. We have left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home, wife, brothers, sisters, or parents, children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in this life to come. They've laid it all out there. The disciples, they've given it their all. But they still fell short. They still fall short. But for Jesus, as we look at him, it hit me. You know, Jesus was scared. But I think as we put all these things together, I think he was scared not to pray. I think his example for us, that he leaves for us, is that he is scared not to pray. He knows if I, if I don't pray, if I don't spend that time with God, if I don't have that, that dependency on God, there isn't going to be a total triumph. He sees it. He sees it clearly. It was an example for his disciple, again, on the dependencies of God. You know, I think for us, I want us to be a church of prayer. I want us to be a church of prayer and, and to look at this. I mean, I, I, when I was thinking through some of these things, I thought, oh, gosh. Am I scared if I don't pray? Are you scared if you don't pray today or tomorrow? Do you see your dependency need, need of dependency on God? One of the things I want to do coming up to, to help with this is to have some periodic uh, prayer times. I did this in Cincinnati uh, several times. And it's, you know, it's kind of come, come if you want. We did them on Zoom because it was pandemic. But, uh, but we'll do it in person uh, or, or, you know, on Zoom, whatever. But so you can look, look for announcements on that. But we'll just we'll have some prayer times uh, together as, as a church or as a men, as a women, whatever that might be. I, I think we can do that. It's easy to do. Mm-hmm. And I think we should do that to help encourage each other. But we're not going to do that every day. And ultimately, it's going to come down to each one of us in, in our prayer lives and our dependency on God. You know, even, you know, we've been talking about, you know, some of the planning that we're uh, coming up that we're working on now for, for the next few months and the planning for the fall. It's really, really exciting. We're, we're looking forward to whatever God, you know, kind of show, brings forth in those. We're really excited about that. But we have to look at those as, you know what, I've got to take part in that. I've got to be a part of that to make whatever event it is, whether it is. A, a, a discipleship group, or whether it's bowling night, or whether it's movie night, or it's dinner at the at the so and so's house, I'm going to go and give, and I'm going to go make it great and make it fun to the glory of God. But it's going to take all of us. Yeah. It's going to take all of us right. in that. What are the things that that? That we can pray about. Well, that's, that's pretty easy. Maybe it's easier to talk about the things that God doesn't have a hand in in your life. And don't worry about praying about those things. <laughs> Nothing, right? You want to talk about your work, your jobs, 
your education, your life, relationships. I mean, the list is long. I mean, that's obvious. Of God has a hand in all of it. And so there's tons of things for us to, to, to pray about. Yet, I don't want this to be a lesson on we just need to pray more. Right. You know, that's one of the things that, that no one has ever said at a, we, we all know that, that right? No, nobody here prays enough. That's never been said at anybody's funeral of, wow, that person prayed too much. Yeah. That's never been said, never will be said. So we consciously, we, we know that. But it is a dependency on God. Yeah. You know, when you look at the disciples and their view, and of course, they would, we would see how this unfolds, and we'll talk more about, uh, about the, the, the cross and the events around that and what's going on uh, here in the, in the next few weeks, as I said. But for the, for the disciples, I think these are all the pieces of the puzzle that when we see them in Acts chapter 1, a few weeks later from this, right. my goodness, I mean, they're praying all the time. And they are depending on God, and, and, and oh my goodness, and we know, we know many of us you know, probably know what happens in Acts. I mean, it's just an incredible, incredible story. But for us, the lesson is not to pray more. That's the easy lesson. Yeah. It's the harder, heartfelt, let's depend on God. Let's have a heart and soul dependency on God. And see what God can do. What, what would change? You know, uh, I appreciate you know, uh, this uh, past uh, Wednesday, Rush made a, a question. Uh, Finn and, and Rush both did a great job at the men's uh, midweek. Um, and he had a question similar to this, of what would our day be like if we are just totally dependent on God? What would be different? What would change? Because that is all along here what Jesus is trying is to help his disciples to see. They're going to have some hard things, even harder and harder and harder things that are going to come. And we need to depend on God, disciples. Watch me pray. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. Oh, I'm going to leave you so that you fall asleep. Because you're going to learn that you can't do it by yourself. You're going to learn that you're going to fall short. And we all need God. You know, the great thing is, and in God's mercy, <laughs> Jesus went to the cross. And we don't, have to, we don't have to reach a certain level for Jesus to love us. We don't have to reach a certain level of love or dependency. Jesus went to the cross for his disciples. Jesus went to the cross for everybody who was there, even the ones that put him on the cross. And so as we take the Lord's Supper today, and as we go about today and this week, let's think about our dependency on God. Let's look at our prayer lives. The things that we can pray, pray about. And let's take them to heart. And let's grow and grow and grow in our dependency on God together as a church. Let's go ahead and pray now for the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is James Lim, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.